Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. You are good and gracious. You are merciful and kind. You are faithful and you are just and above all holy. As we approach your throne, would you cause us to do so with fear and trembling? Would you make our hearts right before you? Would you correct wrong thinking? Would you cause us to see you rightly? Would you cause us to know you, to love you, to trust you, and to obey you more? Lord, if there are some here who do not know you, we ask that tonight would be the night. You have been planning their whole life to draw them to yourself. Cause them to believe and cause them to repent so that they would be saved. We know the Lamb's book of life already has every slot filled. So accomplish your work and fulfill the promises that you've made. We know you will. We pray these things according to the completed work of Christ. Amen. Now please open with me to 2 Corinthians 5, where we will be reading verses 14 to 21. And as you find it, I'm actually going to ask that you stand as we read it. Let me get there too. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now. We know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself not counting their transgressions against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As God is pleading through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the word of God. Let us treat it as such. You may be seated. 
How often do we find ourselves reconciling with others? Perhaps someone treated us wrong or spoke to us wrong. Or perhaps they even sinned against us in some way. And because of this, we typically feel completely justified and righteous to respond in a way that doesn't calm the situation. But in fact elevates the situation. This information enters our ears and gets placed on the fast track of mental processing. We do very little self-examination, very little introspection. We see no faults of our own and only see the faults in the other person. All of this culminates into one heck of a destructive cannonball that we load into the cannon that is our mouth and we fire away. What's the most probable outcome of this? Do people's eyes droop to the floor, filling with repentant tears? Do their shoulders lose their stiffness? Do their fists unclench? And do they immediately recite Spurgeon's famous quote, If any man thinks ill of me, I will not be angry with him, because I am far worse than he thinks me to be. No. Their eyes turn to daggers. Their shoulders stiffen, their fists clench tightly, and a fight ensues. After a few rounds, you part ways, maybe cool off, and only then does your mind seem to begin to think of things like preserving a relationship, or think of wrongs you've done to them in the past, or how you punished them in a way that was not appropriate for their initial offense. At some point, your pride gets diluted enough for you to approach them, apologize, and seek to once more be reconciled. As a boy, when my brother Sam and I would get into fights, our parents would would force us to apologize to each other and then hug. I remember how unnatural that felt. How disingenuous it felt to embrace this guy who in my economy was a type of enemy. I hadn't forgiven him. I hadn't acknowledged my own sin in that situation. I hugged because the powers that be deemed it so. But oftentimes something amazing would happen. Something would happen that would would cut all those feelings, whether it was a joke or a a funny comment or maybe a, a tushy squeeze, and everything that had just occurred would disappear. And I would begin to see not an enemy, but my brother once more. begin to realize my shortcomings and how my action or reaction was only inflammatory. Right relationship would then quickly be restored. Reconciliation between people never, excuse me, is never due totally in part to a single party. It is always, it always requires effort from all parties. 
This brings me to our first point. Reconciliation is an act of God. Look with me again at verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. And having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You see, God is not some distant being that that keeps an eye on us and attempts to influence us in some decisions when it suits him. He controls us. If this is your first time at Trinity, or if you have been coming but obviously not listening, then this might be a real shocker. Your free will that you hold so tightly to doesn't hold up that great in the high court of law of Christ. Read the text again. The love of Christ controls us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We loved our sin. We would not have changed had it not been for the incredible love of God who sent His Son to die. Gathering upon Himself each and every sin of those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. And drinking the cup of the Father's wrath in its entirety. I want to address something that may cause a little bit of confusion um, at the beginning of verse 15, and that's the word all. Christ died for all. We know in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm afraid this verse is regularly removed from the context in which it resides to argue a man-centered gospel that upholds man as the decision maker and God as sitting in heaven, biting his nails, hoping we make the right choice. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I want to make a quick comment on the clarification of all. All in Christ. Just as all were in Adam. All people that have ever existed were in Adam. And all who believed in Christ are in Christ. The terms faith and belief are indistinguishable in Scripture. So if we read that passage, Ephesians 2.8, as for, for by grace you have been saved through belief, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, then it provides some clarity on the entire situation. The very belief you hold so tightly to as your own is actually... A gift that has been given to you. And at no point was it your own conjuring. It wasn't your idea. It wasn't a discovery you made based on intellect or social status, race, creed, or political affiliation. Why do we love him? 
I'll tell you. Because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19. We see that. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Greek word for caused is anagoneo, which means to beget, to bring about, to give birth to. A.K.A. you have about as much say in your rebirth as you did in your first. Which, I'm not sure what would have needed to transpire for you to have something to say about the first one. But I do not want to know about that. This, is, this was the only way that we could no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. This is how God did this, simple, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You know, I've been convicted of a position I've taken on Easter. Namely, in what position I've uh, placed it on the list of holidays. Our parents would do what I assume is fairly typical amongst most American families, and we'd wake up to Easter baskets with a bunch of candy, primarily chocolate or marshmallow-based, with appropriate intersections between the two. We'd also get those uh, like knockoff jelly beans that were obviously bigger than regular jelly bellies and far less quality. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know if that was what sold in 1996 or whenever that was going on, but I'm, I'm glad candy has gotten better. As an adult, I'm left wondering why great candies like Skittles were omitted. And hellish candies like peeps were celebrated. Maybe it's the uh, extra sprinkle of, sprinkle of titanium dioxide in Skittles that really hooks the palate. I don't know. But Easter has never really been a, a big holiday for me. And in the, ter- in the way that Christmas is like the superior holiday. I mean, come on, I don't want to fight about it. But I will. It doesn't have the magic of Christmas, nor the patriotism of the 4th of July. Heck, it doesn't even have the level of candy that Halloween does. And yet, had it not been for the death and resurrection of Christ, we would not be in this room. This church would not exist. We would not know God, nor would he be trustworthy. Do we understand the essential importance of last Sunday? Had Jesus died and not been resurrected, then he would have been made a liar. But praise be to God, Jesus not only died for our sins, but he was resurrected and sits now at the right hand of God. Did you hear that, oh sinner? Did you hear that, oh tired, beaten, downtrodden saint? Saint. 
Christ is alive and His promises to you were forged unbreakable by the hammer of God on the anvil that was the cross. Our next point is reconciliation belongs exclusively to God. So we know that God knits us in our mother's womb, Psalm 139.13. God directs each of our steps we take, Proverbs 16.9. God beckons us to repent and believe, John 6.44. He gives us repentance and belief, Ephesians 2.8. Sanctifies us, Hebrews 10.10. But this can all be very beautifully summarized in Romans 8.28-30. Allow me to read that. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If this doesn't cause your heart to leap within your chest with joy, then I do not know what will. God has reconciled you to himself based on his will and his will alone. Read verses 18 to 19. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We don't see God uh, reconcile a little bit and then wait for our reconciliatory, reconciliatory response. This isn't the same as reconciliation between two sinful people. The transaction that occurs there is between sinful man and the perfect God. I'm spitting. Literally. Not the terms that you young kids use these days. Only one of these parties is faultless. God completely reconciles us to himself by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. Read with me the last two verses. 20 and 22. Excuse me, 20 to 21. So then... We are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Listen, we're begging. We're on our knees. I am on my knees up here begging you, oh Christian, begging you, oh random person that showed up tonight. Anyone sitting in front of me, I'm begging you to be reconciled to God. Because He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf, on my behalf. 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Matthew Henry in his commentary on this passage says, Though God can be no loser by the quarrel, nor gainer by the peace, yet by his ministers he beseeches sinners to lay aside their enmity and accept of the terms he offers that they would be reconciled to him, to all his attributes, to all his laws, and to all his providences. To believe in the mediator, to accept the atonement, and comply with his gospel, in all the parts of it, and in the whole design of it. Christian, you are an ambassador of Christ, standing where he stood, doing what he did. That is, proclaiming the truth about God. And to do that, you must be reconciled to him. You must know who God is. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you realize what this text is saying? God made Jesus our sin. My sin. The only sinless one to walk this planet. The God-man, God's only begotten Son, was made sin. How crushing. How crushing to know that He suffered and died for my filth. For my mistakes. For my self-service. For my lack of discipline. For my love of my sin. For my love of myself. For my comfort. For me. For you. For His sheep. As John 10.11 says... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Who are a sheep? Any and all who feel their need of a Savior. Who believe he will save. And who come to be saved. Friend, If your heart is troubled tonight, he will draw you. He will cause you to believe. If you say, I don't know what to do, I can't do it, I can't even think the right thoughts, go to him. He will help. He will be just and faithful to cover you in his righteousness so that when the Father looks down on you, all he will see is his Son, our older brother, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the gospel. The perfect Savior came to be slain for 
Imperfect's not even the right word. Wretched isn't the right word. Wretched doesn't have the stench required to describe us in our sin. And yet, I'm not going to leave you there. Friends, for those found in Christ, for those who will approach his throne, Lord, I cannot do it. I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to feel. I don't know what to think. How do I act? But Lord, I believe. I know that what you say is true. I know that what your word says is true. And he's promised to cause you to believe rightly that he would draw your eyes to his word and the truths that make it up. He has promised to cause you to repent, friend. Oh, how uh, freeing that is to know. It's not up to us to conjure, to build, to, okay, before I open this door into Trinity, I'm going to cleanse myself super quick. I'm going to make sure that I have a smile on my face and my eyes are popping and I'm, I'm looking right. Because even when we do that, that heart of ours is still decaying. And he says, come on in. And here's the beautiful thing. He will not leave you as you came in. He loves you. He will change you despite what you are. He saved me. He changed me. He's sanctified me despite who Jake Musgrave was, a wretched, filthy man in desperate need of a savior. Guys, as we go forward, I want us to keep our minds on the truths that we see in these in this scripture. Sorry. This might seem heavy. I'm up here yelling. I know that I'm a little bit intense. Halfway sorry about that. But I hope that you see the truths in here that apply directly to each and every one of you. And as we go into small groups, uh, I encourage you I encourage you to be transparent and to share with those around you and to not keep that reserved. If you need time to think, wonderful. If you don't want to talk in front of a group, okay, talk to somebody. Pull a leader aside. Everyone is here kind of like expressly for that. So employ them in that way. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge it is your work that saves us. We thank you for the completed work of Jesus on the cross for your church's sake. We beg you to sanctify us. We beg you to cause us to love you more. For those who do not know you, I beg you on their behalf to save them tonight.
O Lord. We pray in the name of the risen King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.